what, do I say, can you hear me? I can hear you. <sighs> yes. <sighs> you won't believe what I had to do to get fixed on Skype. Um, but this was from last, because like last time we recorded, it was a mess. Um, okay, so I've got, let me, let me add Andrew. Hello. 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 Don, Don's here. Andrew's here. It worked. Can you hear us, Andrew? Yes. Oh. Loud and clear. Wonderful. Wonderful. A miracle. Wonderful. A miracle's occurred. Oh, it has. I have. So, oh, yeah. So, 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 Andrew, your, your, Ben's name in, in, in Skype appears as B-E. Um, your name appears as dot C. <laughs> Ooh, dot C. It's from the, the, it's very urban, very. I feel like a rapper now. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Dot C. I love it. From the, from the T dot. So before we jump like fully into the show, um, we should, we should do a little introduction. You, uh, this is uh, our, our guest today is Andrew Clark. Um, and Andrew, if you if you listen to the show, what happens now? It's if it's in the show, it's in the show. Um, so we just we just go. Um, but uh, are, are, see, now it's I'm in the show, It's in the show. We just go. Yeah. Now I'm the now I'm B dot. Um, <laughs> uh, so so Andrew is um, is one of our one of our close friends in the world of food safety I've known I've known Andrew for a long long time like 15 years um, and uh, we've uh, I, I visited uh, Andrew Andrew used to live in Wales and I visited him in, in Gordon in Wales and and has since moved to Canada very shortly after I moved out of Canada or or right before and those things are not linked uh, whatsoever <laughs> as far as we sure, know ben? as far as we sure? know as far as we know um but andrew works for um law laws right now one of uh i would say the the one of or or the preeminent uh grocery store chains in canada um and and growing growing up uh, law laws was was always uh the this the brand of stores that that my family shopped at uh probably more for um, location and convenience more than anything else, but <laughs> but it's a good store. It's a great store. So, um, Andrew, why don't why don't you go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about what you do, and then then I want to ask you guys questions that are not food safety related, uh, but then we'll talk about food safety. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, I'm just well now. I'm the senior director of uh, quality assurance. Uh, at Loblaws, which is the largest retailer in Canada, Ben, just so you know. Um, so we, we um, my team look after sort of the vendor side of the business. So from approving vendors, suppliers, and um, supporting product development and so on. We don't, we don't, there's another team that looks after the stores. So all the, all the vendor management stuff um, is, is all under my team. Uh, but I, I do food and non-food as well. Um, so it's, it, it keeps us busy, but it's really interesting. I have to say, you know, the, the development of the products and, uh, seeing that, seeing the progression and, uh, seeing the interest in the products. And, uh, as you mentioned, Loblaw is, uh, sort of, it is, it is the premium and, uh, uh, retailer went with regards to food. And we, we look after the control brand side of the business, which, which is growing significantly. Well, so uh, one of the things that Loblaws did back in the in the eighties or early nineties, maybe that that I had uh, I really remember and things you know standing out is is they they created this this um, uh, 
sort of in-home in brand of President's Choice. And it was not something that a lot of other retailers had done in, in Canada. And that became like the big, like kind of the big thing when, when growing up was like President's Choice chocolate chip cookies and President's Choice coffee. And, and really has been, you know, like, like the store brand in, in, in lots of different areas. It, to me, it was the first one that I remember in Canada, like really standing out as like a, a, a president's choice is the higher like it, it's it's good it's good value but it's a it's a premium product compared to other other brands and so so that I'm sure for you that's that's part of what what you really um, you know what, what you focus on is is keeping that that president's uh, president's choice brand if it still exists of course I don't live there anymore uh, keeping that that brand um, safe because that's that's the that's the Loblaws you know, brand, I guess, right? Yeah, that's that's one of them, and and you're right. That's the that's one of the the premium brands, and it does still exist, and it's the it's the it's the most popular brand actually. So with with that in mind, um, quality's paramount important to us. So that's why we work very closely with um, the suppliers that we've got to make sure that we maintain that level of quality. Because you you know, as as a consumer myself, I, I want to go to a store and I want consistency of the product. And uh, each time I go in, I want it to be the same. Once I've purchased it, I, I expect the same. So uh, making sure that uh, it maintains quality is, is key, really. So uh, which is what I enjoy, you know, uh, in being in this uh, industry. We, we, that's what we want. That's what we aspire to, to do is making sure that we uh, meet uh, the uh, consumer's quality every time. You know, it's, it's important. Cool. Okay. So now I gotta. Now we've done the introductions. Now I gotta. I gotta pivot, as they say in the in, in the business world, or we'll get aligned here um, with our with our <laughs> with our synergies. Uh, can, we, can we drill down on the net net? I'm gonna. Yeah, we're gonna drill down on the net net. Yeah. Um, the kimono. <laughs> um, okay. So so I texted Don a picture of what caused me to be about three minutes late today. And it's uh, and what I want to know from you guys is how what what your what your process in the morning is for making coffee. And the reason why I want to ask is because mine has recently switched over the last three or four days. Um, so um, as uh, as you might know, right now we're in the in the midst of a pandemic um, and that pandemic. Wait, wait us right, now? Us right now. Pandemic of what, Ben? Even even if people are just going to the beach all all weekend and and oh, being God. very close to each other. Um, uh, but but uh, so I I used to uh, the, there was a, a few different coffee places that I would frequent on a on a semi regular basis. Like probably every day I was going somewhere. And um, and now over the last uh, you know whatever twelve weeks ten weeks um, I've been I've been at home so I, I have for the last oh gosh five or six years my my morning coffee or home ad home coffee routine has been um, Nespresso pods and I uh, and so I I was reading something about different ways to switch up my my coffee consumption at home and and I I purchased. Uh, a, a variety of implements and one of them and actually I, t I texted Don a picture and I'll read the text that it says it says um, I'm making a coffee in my new Chemex 
And, and I want to point out that what I what I actually purchased on was not an actual Chemex, but it is a Chemex knockoff, and it's uh, Bodum makes it, who, who also makes French presses. But I, I, but I purchased two, well, I've actually purchased four things. Um, one was this, Andrew, have you, do you know what a, a, a Chemex is? This, it's, like a, it's, it's like a coffee pot that, that doesn't have a, 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 whole, a heat source. It, it looks like a, a flask, uh, like an Erlenmeyer flask. Is that the right laboratory term, Don? You think it's like a? It's not quite. It's not. No, it's not. It's a round. It's a round bottom. Whoop, I'm on. I'm on mute. No, no, I can. I can hear you. You are not on mute. Um, oh, yeah. God. It's, it's it's what we call a round bottom flask. I got a round bottom flask with some cork which, around it. Which is it. not the same as the song by Queen. No, no, it's a different song. I think I think you're thinking of um, that you run. You like to ride your bicycle. Um, yes, that's the one. Uh, and, and it has this, it, so my, 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 my Chemex knockoff also has this, uh, oh, it, it's a, it, it's a filter of, uh, it, like a, a cup that is shaped, a conical cup that, that has a, a mesh wire mesh screen that acts as a filter. And then, then the, the key, according to the internet of making good coffee, um, which I learned from the AeroPress, which is another coffee thing that I also have and use in my office. But the key is hitting the right temperature with, with your water. And I always, this is the, like the, what will really make some of our listeners who are real big coffee snobs unhappy. What I used to do is take my, um, uh, I, I would take a, um, uh, what are they called? A measuring cup, like a Pyrex measuring cup. I would fill it up with water. I would put it in the microwave for like two and a half minutes or three minutes. And then I would use a thermometer, like a meat thermometer, which is also the same thermometer I'm using to take my temperature daily um, right now. Uh, it's a multifunction thermometer. Uh, I would use that thermometer and then sort of guess at the at the temperature. And it never really worked. By the time I was ready to go, it would, it would drop. Anyway, what I currently have is a gooseneck electric kettle that makes a liter's worth of water that allows me to pour very specifically over top of this um, uh, this Chemex knockoff bottom. And I'm making, so the last five days I've made this made this coffee. So right now I have this whole like pot of uh, round bottom flask coffee ready to go. So my, my question is <laughs> for you after a 12 minute preamble, what, what does your, what does your coffee morning coffee routine look like at home or tea and knowing full well uh, that, that Andrew, uh, I don't, I don't know for sure if Andrew's a, a morning coffee uh, drinker at all. And I know Don likes it, likes a tea uh, or a cuppa as it's known uh, it, from in Monty Python. Uh, <laughs> every once in a while. So there, go, go. What do you got? Well, I can go first. Uh, I, when I do uh, make coffee for myself, because other people don't don't like the strength <laughs> of the coffee that I make, they prefer instant. And, no names. And by other people, other other people, you're going to redact their names? Yeah, re redact no, I can't. I can't possibly say who, but I think you can guess. Um, I I prefer. Do you know the um. The espresso makers, the in the you put on the on the cooker, on the cooker, oh yeah, on the stove, on the stove, yeah, you know the those European people use. Um, they, they that's what I'd like. I like using those, but I tell you why I do that, Ben. So, I'll get one cup out of it, and then uh, what what remains in there, I make uh, an espresso martini with later on. Oh. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, if you ever cross the border, I'll make you one. 
You won't sleep, but you'll you know you'll have a nice drink. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, I like this. This is see this is more, this is why I asked the question. Um, yes. So so are these the, this uh, espresso maker that you put on the on the cooker um, yeah. is is like a metal kind of espresso maker? Yeah. yeah that's got like. Um, Kind of an hourglass shape to it, or like aluminum, but it's also got ridges on the side. I, I know what I think I know what you're talking about. Oh, that's like that's a Turkish coffee maker. A Turkish well, coffee, yeah, 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 and 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 you know, I think because of the strength of the coffee that that you get from that, you only need you really need one. You don't need to keep drinking it. Right, that's right. Enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A turf, there it is. A Turkish a Turkish espresso maker. Yeah. Cool. I don't have one of those. Maybe I need to add one of those to my. You do. Okay. You've got to have one of them if you're a professional coffee drinker. Now come on. Yeah, right. Right. See, these are the things I'm learning. I'm. I, it turns out I was just a. I've just been an amateur. I thought I moved into the the world of, uh, of different coffee making. Uh, a few years ago when Don introduced me to the AeroPress. And, um, and and so, and I still use the AeroPress, but I was looking for something. I The problem with the AeroPress is it is it gives me like a one shot, right? Like I can only make one cup and, and I wanted a little bit more. The espresso I can do sort of on demand. And then this thing that I just got, I can, I make like a liter of coffee, which is maybe too much coffee, but it's what I need. <laughs> Don, 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 what do you? Can you remind me what you? What's your? Because every once in a while, we'll we'll start a uh, texting back and forth about are you ready to to start? And both of us say, well, I just need to go make a coffee. So what does that mean? Right. What does that mean to you? So it it is it is evolved. It's it's evolved, but it's been pretty pretty consistent lately. So it starts it starts with. Verona roast from Starbucks and you know don't don't at me if you don't like dark roast Starbucks coffee because I do and so you can just you know um, get stuffed I believe is the expression if you don't agree with that <laughs> so so I, I and I and I grind that in my burrata grinder and it's set to an espresso grind okay and I use two scoops I'm not sure I'm not sure what how much a scoop is maybe it's a, it's 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 a little plastic scoop that I have um, and I think it's probably a tablespoon so um, which is a pretty pretty sizable amount of coffee and then what I do I have a little pyrex dish um, that I fill it's a hundred mils and I put it in the microwave for one minute. And I know from experiments that I did <laughs> where I collected data <laughs> that that reaches the optimum temperature for coffee, right? So, so it's, it's, it's 100 mils, one minute in my microwave. And then I pour that over the, um, the, the Starbucks coffee in, in the, um, the thingy, um, the um, – what you call it? The uh, <laughs> I knew I was going to forget this. The thing, the thing that I told you to get. The uh, what's the the AeroPress? The, the AeroPress. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, and hundred mils. And I, so and I put that. So hundred mils, and then and then here's the the part that's variable. Um, I I either if I'm in a hurry, I will press that right away. If I'm not in a hurry. I will let it drain, and so somewhere, somewhere between uh, zero and I don't know, ten minutes. And by ten minutes, the water is pretty much drained by itself, and so there's not much pressing that you need to do. Okay, so I will, I will press that, um, and then uh, what I will do is I will tip it to the side and let the rest of the coffee drain. Um, now at this point, it's still not ready. Okay, so then I take uh, so for, well. So first of all, we have compost, and so we have to have to get rid of the grounds, right? And so the grounds go into the compost bucket, which eventually goes to the backyard. We'll talk about that's a different show. It's, um, it's compost uh, safety then, talk. Yes. And then 
um, what we do, what I do is it needs to be sweetened. And so I put one uh, packet of Splenda and then I put like a glug of half and half. Okay. Um, and, and remember, this is not a lot of coffee. So this is kind of, kind of espresso strength coffee. And there's not a lot. If I put it into a regular coffee mug, it fills up after the, after I put the half and half, it's maybe a third of that or, or not even. Um, but then, then the problem has been, um, I like, I like my coffee hot and, and it's cold. And, I, yeah. and it, it's not it's not cold, but it's cooled. Okay. It's cooled because I put the half and half in. So then what I do, because I like it. And again, I've done experiments. Um, uh, I put it in the microwave, but not for a minute this time. If you put it, if you must, if you mistakenly put it in for a minute, um, that will, um, boil over your coffee and it will make a mess. Um, so and then you have, and then you have really hot coffee, uh, except for what's uh, you're not going to drink cause it's in the microwave. So, but, but, so I have to remember which, which thing I'm heating. Right. And if I'm on autopilot, I just sometimes hit the plus one minute button and that's not good. So, 20 seconds, 20 seconds. And then that, that is a delicious coffee. It is probably equal parts espresso coffee and half and half. So it's very creamy, but it's very strong and it's got, it's got one Splenda. So it's a bit sweet and it's just the right temperature. And then, and that is, that is my uh, go-to, but now I, I do have to, you know, moderate my caffeine intake. And so I allow myself two of those. Now, on a, if it's really a tough day, I might go three, uh, but usually two of those at some point in the morning, um, usually in some night like this morning, it was in quick succession. You might be able to tell that um, by the the speed and the rapidity <laughs> and the detail with which I'm telling you this story. Um, uh, and then and then in the afternoon, uh, as you say, uh, a cuppa. Uh, so I'll, I will have one or two cups of tea uh, to kind of taper off my uh, caffeine input so that I can, I can sleep. So, yeah, so that's my more than, more than what you asked for oh. in terms of uh, caffeine, um, uh, intake system. That was, no, that was, that was perfect. Uh, so, so I, I'm, what you're making is like a, it's like a latte almost, right? Like uh, uh, it's what would you call it? What's the, it's no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a espresso, it's a ma espresso macchiato. It's a right? macchiato. Yeah. yeah okay. Espresso, espresso, but it's marked with, and not more than marked, but it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's so it's, yeah, it's like an espresso macchiato. So huh. it's a, that's what it is. Well, that's pretty. And so the, the, the grinder that you have, is it electric? Is it a, is or is it the hand? Uh, yeah, I have, I have one of those hand ones. Um, uh, and there were, the, that was great for backpacking cause it's really hard to plug in as, really it's really heavy and there's no place to plug it in if you're backpacking <laughs> so <laughs> you're backpacking in the wrong places don you're, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're you you're clearly um you're not you don't have your your uh grinding in uh in mind when you pick your your backpacking spots no i, I do not do not so i i do have a little hand grinder uh, i think i gave that away actually i but which was really nice actually i was re reminded of that when i visited a friend of the uh podcast uh linda harris because she still had i tried to convince her to get a nice one but she still has a little hand grinder and, and yeah. hand grinder is great but it just takes too long and so this this one's great just the, dunk in the beans and then just hit hit the button and it's it's you're off to the races see what i what i kind of liked about the hand grinder is that it um it takes about the same amount of time as it does for the for my water to boil um oh. to this to, to 204 degrees fahrenheit i didn't tell you that that was the most important part mm -hmm. apparently um and it's been great according to the internet um that's where where i need to go what what's what really pushed me on this path um andrew don, don and i have uh, have uh, friends of the podcast that that we've been on uh this podcast uh, do by friday and and our our friend max talked about um, something that, that I don't ever, I don't think ever came to fruition, um, which was his, he wanted to write sort of his keys to making coffee at home during the pandemic. 
And, and I remember hearing that in a podcast, and this, this is what started me down this path like 10 days ago. And I thought, you know, I'm going to switch it up. I, I'm, I, I now have, you know, more time. I'm not rushing out of the house there. Um, I, I can start things like making coffee and I can finish those things as opposed to trying to do them in one shot. So I'm going to take some care and I'm going to invest some time in this. So I actually searched out the document that he mentioned that he was going to write. And, and like I said, I don't think he ever, I, I didn't find it. Um, and I went everywhere. I mean, I went to the Patreon for the uh, podcast, uh, for Do I Friday podcast. I went to Medium and searched his uh, author name. I went to his website. And um, and, and anyway, I, I just decided that I would remember back to what he was talking about and then think, uh, you know, find what I what I could. And I've, I've got lots of friends um, who, who, oh, friends, meaning people I follow on Instagram, uh, who, who, who are, who post about this, you know, having one of these Chemex and you see that, and it looked like a very cool kind of thing to do. Cause it makes more, more coffee. Um, so I, so that's what I purchased. And I, well, so I, I yeah. just want to point out that a couple of things. So what, number one, you could have contacted Max and I asked did, him. I didn't want, um, I felt, you, I felt weird about but doing he, that. But see, here's the thing. He listens to this podcast, but he's really, really behind. <laughs> so in gonna, about two years, he's going to follow up with you. Uh, oh, and then real, real time, uh, real time follow up and correction. Um, the grinder I have is a Baratza. Okay. Barata is actually a, a type of, uh, uh, cheese. It's a cheese. Yeah. You, you don't <laughs> get the cheese, Italian cow milk cheese, which is uh, honestly delicious. So, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a cow milk cheese. It's, uh, the outs, the outer shell is solid mozzarella. The inside is stracciatella and cream, giving it an unusual soft texture. And I've had it before and it's amazing. So, so I highly recommend Barata as well as Barazza. <laughs> Do you, is there, Andrew, is there a president's choice, uh, Barata, Barata uh, cheese? Is that something that's on the, I don't, I don't want to get you in, in trouble on releasing products ahead of time, but uh, can, we expect, so. can we expect I that? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I have eaten it and I didn't want to correct you, Don, uh, you know, because when you were talking about it, I just thought, oh no, I'm not going to say a no. word. Yeah. I don't, you know, and, and I wanted to, while um, we're talking about Don, I want to congratulate him on his IFP award because I've got to slip that in uh, because I think it's uh, it needs to be mentioned. Is it mentioned at every opportunity? Uh, absolutely. I <laughs> I, I'm, uh, you know, I've had a, I've had a, I've had a to do item in my OmniFocus um, for several years now, uh, entitled Winfred's microscope. So I, uh, I am, I'm, but I, I don't know, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if there's going to be a microscope. I don't know if there's going to be a meeting. I don't know if I'm going to actually get the award. Um, but yeah, so, so, th but thank you for that. And congratulations to you too, because you were an award winner. We were supposed to have you. We, I guess, we sort of did have you on the last podcast. Um, you kind of sounded rather. Um, Darth Vadery. In fact, so you were on the podcast, the last episode, quite briefly, um, with your voice disguised, and that was that was delightful. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. So, congratulations to Andrew. Uh, I will read. This is the um, uh, from the IAFP website under the Harold Barnum Industry Award. Uh, uh, you are it is presented to an individual for outstanding service to the public, IAFP, and the food industry. Uh, and uh, it lists your name right here: 2020 recipient Andrew James Clark. 
So that's me. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You, you probably haven't had a chance to listen to the last episode yet because I posted it late last night. Um, cause yeah. it was, it, it was an overwhelming task of editing that I was, I really like, and this is the insight into me. I put off thinking that maybe somehow in my sleep I would do the editing. Um, and, uh, and I didn't huh. until Don said, Hey, is there, is there just something I could do to help you, um, get the, the episode posted? And, and I thought, yeah, I just, I will, I will sit down and edit it. Um, but, but in there I referred to, um, both you and, uh, and Gordon as the Harold and Barnum uh, uh, <laughs> industry award winners. Actually, I think you called them Howard and Barnum. Oh, Howard and ba- Barnum. It's even, whatever. Ba- the Barnum brothers. That was the circus, right? Bailey, ba- ba- Barnum, Bailey. I don't Barnum know. Barnum and Bailey. Yes. Um, so yeah, congratulations to, to you. I feel, I feel left out. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not none uh, in a 2020 uh, award winner. I have won an IAFP award as I look down this list. I won the Larry Beauchat Young Researcher Award in, uh, I can't remember what year, a couple of years ago. Oh, back when you were young. I remember that. Back, yeah, <laughs> I, back, I remember that as well. Back when I was yeah. in, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ben, you mentioned that you first met me 15 years ago. It's probably longer than that. It I think you were is. doing your master's then. Yeah. And and just to let everyone know who's listening to this, I led Ben astray by uh, forcing him to drink Brains SA beer. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, Ben. And it was quite easy to lead him astray. And I was quite pleased that I had a drinker with me. And uh, I think, I don't know what, what the casualty was like, but he did... It was easy. He was easily led, and I'd put that on his school report. I think. Well, and you know, here here's the thing. We Ben Ben is quite a troublemaker. There is a story, um, which will live in infamy, um, about the day uh, that Ben was put in charge of the drink tickets when he was a student. And let's just say after that year, there was a new rule in effect called the Ben Chapman rule, yeah. where the students would not be in charge of the drink tickets anymore. Look, oh, look, dear. look, this, let me, let me tell you why, um, where that, where that situation came from. So, <laughs> so, so I was, when I was in high school, um, I think, I think back on my high school years fondly. Um, I, I really, I enjoyed, uh, growing up. I, uh, grew up in this, this little town, uh, Andrew, that I'm not sure if you, I know that there's definitely a Loblaws, uh, brand store there. Um, but it, the Port Hope, Ontario, I don't know if you've, if you've been there, but, uh, I took, I've been through it on the train, I yeah, think. Yeah. 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 So you and you and you and Gordon need to visit Gordon. I took Gordon there on one of his trips to Canada because there's a, a very famous um, there's a few things that Port Hope, Ontario is famous for. One is uh, low level radioactive waste being buried all <laughs> over the town uh, as as a result of uranium, uh, a uranium refinery that uh, that uh, that still operates there. But but in the 40s and 50s. Uh, used to cool their their refinery, you know, water by sp- spreading on the land next to the the uranium refinery, and then they sold a lot of that soil for free fill as the houses were being built. Anyway. Um, there's that. But also, um, there was a, a major flood that happened in 1980, I think it was. And as a result of that flood, um, a lot of there's a there's a um, there's a river that flows through downtown Port Hope called the Ganaraska River. It flows from, I I, I think Rice Lake uh, to Lake Ontario. Um, I'm not actually sure where the the head of the river is, but let's let's just pretend it's Rice Lake. Um, and 
the the flooding this was a, a early april flood as as uh, ice and snow was melting um and the flood like devastated the downtown businesses and as a celebration of the flood the next year and the recovery from the flood there was a, a race called float your fanny down the ganny which um fanny in in ontario means a totally different thing than it means in other parts of the world uh <laughs> and and so, so that, um, so, so anyway, uh, I took, I, I, what, for whatever reason, Gordon was, was visiting on that weekend and I took him, uh, to, to Port Hope and, and showed him this, this race and people, uh, get in the, in, in like, they make boats out of, uh, pallets and, and bar rain barrels. And, and then also there's kayakers and, and everybody, uh, races down the, down the river. Um, so where I was going with this was I grew up in the town where Float Your Fanny Down the Ganny existed. And, uh, and I went to this, this relatively small high school, and I, I, was, in, I was on student council. Uh, you know, the, like the, uh, the leadership opportunities as, as a child. And um, I, for whatever reason, I was um, the, somehow got, got involved in student council in, in dances because dances were, were a thing. Like, we just didn't have anywhere else to go in my in my small town so once a month high school dance happened everybody went um and there was a lot of uh, uh teenage drinking that happened uh prior to that that event and and so where my my troublemaking day started <laughs> was as a facilitator at the door since i was on student council of checking student ids and checking student IDs, I'll put that into Richard Fingers, uh, air quotes, because checking student IDs, the, the the real goal that I was put in charge of was to make sure that I figured out whether any of the students had been drinking because they didn't want a teacher to do that. And, it, and there was a police officer at the dance, but, but they didn't want to get involved in that. So somehow, and again, this is like the early 90s, I, I was put in charge of this for, for a couple of years. And my troublemaking started where I would never, like, I would let everybody in. I would, because I, well, what all would my you, friends. So, so let's take a step back here. Let's assume that you were not the cool guy that you were. Right, right. And you were a narc. Yeah. What, what were you supposed to do? I don't know. When you found someone that was drinking. I don't know. I wonder, like, I, I thought back on this recently and i wonder if they put me in charge because it was like because they knew that you were not going to do anything yeah yeah like like it was kind of like wow well, you know we had a you know well we did our best <laughs> we right like like the teachers everybody kind of knew that this is what was happening and it's better that that kids are like you know for for what you know whatever reason it's better that they're coming to the dance and drinking as opposed to like driving around rural areas driving and drinking so so let's just like get people here it's like uh it's it, it was poor Amsterdam um, with uh, it would, let, let's just turn, you know, let's do it in a safe environment. But, but anyway, that, that, like that, that experience for me led to somehow me getting, uh, getting put in charge of, of drink tickets at a, at an IAFP event. And, and two, two things happened. One is I was given all the tickets. So I became the gatekeeper <laughs> for every drink that happened in the party, which was extremely, um, uh, amazing as someone who likes to, uh, to feel like he's in charge sometimes. And and making everybody have a good time. Oh, you need another drink here? I'm I'm the I'm the kingmaker over here. Let me you can have a drink. Um, and then at the end of the night, I realized that I had not given out all the drink tickets, and and we were getting to closing time. So I then had the what I look back to to think as the most brilliant idea, 
which was to then take the stack of drink tickets and just take them to the bar and get all of the drinks that we would be able to get and then just take them to the hotel lobby and and continue the party you know once the after the party then you go to the after party and uh, and that's what I did. Um, and so there's a picture somewhere, like not a digital picture, but an actual picture that exists in, in boxes in here of of these like a massive table, like you know those those um, stand up tables that that people stand around at a at an event. But it seemed like it was a bigger one, and it was just filled with like every bit of beer, like wine bottles, everything that we could we could get with the remaining tickets. Um, and and that I think that. That was the reason why I'm not allowed to be in charge of drink tickets anymore and why there's a Ben Chapman rule. Uh, and, and, and I want to I want to you know, point out that this was 2002 or 2003. So I've, I've probably matured sl- somewhat since I've had to become a responsible parent uh, here and um, and all, all those things. But, yeah, that's the that, that's the story. And, and I was only I want to point out I was only in that position because our friend. Renee Boyer, who was, uh, who really, she was the, um, the, the brainchild behind this, this IAFP student mixer. It didn't exist before, before that year. That was the first year that it, that it happened. She missed the meeting, um, because she had, uh, and I like uh, this, this will sound very crass, but I like to remind her she missed the meeting because she had, she went and had a brain tumor. And, uh, and, and then she couldn't, she couldn't come cause she had to get her brain tumor out or whatever, yeah, uh, and that, whatever. whatever. And that put me in charge of, of this thing. So had, had she not really, I blame Renee, it should be called the Renee problem, the Renee rule, because don't, first of all, don't have a brain tumor and put someone who's not responsible in charge. Secondly, <laughs> when you're not responsible, don't be in charge of drink tickets. <laughs> And that's the story. That's it. So, there's, Ben, there's a bit of a pattern here in your management of events, isn't there? Really? Yeah, there let's is. Talk, yeah. Let's talk about the karaoke <laughs> and your inability to organise it very well. Oh, say. Oh. You, you wanted you wanted off-the-shelf karaoke and it just didn't work, did it, for several years. You know what I'm talking about. Come I do. On. You need to confess. And... Uh, <laughs> Is this Look an intervention? Last year, how much better it got last year, and how wild it was last year. It was, and just it, when you thought it couldn't get any madder, it did. If you, it's true, it's true. If you, if uh, listeners to the show want to listen back to um, IAFP live, live from IAFP episodes, um, and we'll we'll link to a couple of these in in show notes. That's all what I say when when I ask Don to to Google and find out what the number is. Um, of it, but we we've recorded multiple times, like I don't know, six or seven times at IAFP, and and very often we record the day after karaoke, and I talk about uh, karaoke and and things that we that we sang, and so there is a group of individuals who sing who like to sing uh, karaoke, um, and and I have uh, been. I, there, there was one year when I was not in charge, but I had a bit of information on where it was going to be, and that information leaked out, and then people, um, it made the karaoke bigger than than what was expected, and then then um, Andrew uh, and and Gordon, who were nominally in in charge of uh, booking karaoke and finding a place to go, um, they they stopped going to IAFP and uh, for for a couple of years, and well, I mean Gordon did, and then um, and then we didn't have a place to to go, but we did. So so Andrew. I do want to remind you of one karaoke win that I had, which was when we went to uh, a traditional, like Korean 
uh, karaoke bar in in Tampa, I think it was, where it, we um, it was just us in a room and with a, a a keyboard that we could choose all the songs that we wanted and didn't have to wait in line. And it was a very odd experience. And and then also a, a, like a bowl of I think I think someone got a drink that came in an actual watermelon, maybe. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. It was it was quite it was quite something. Yeah, they were very excited uh, that they had customers. I think. They were. They were. Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, okay. So, so there's, there's the, you know, there's the introduction. We talk about coffee. You talk about, uh, uh, floating your fanny down the ganny. Um, uh, (laughs) it makes me laugh every time that I say it. Uh, but so, so we, this is food safety talk and, and Andrew, you are a food safety guy. So we should talk a little bit about, uh, some food safety things. And, and I've got, I mean, I've got a few questions that I want to, I want to ask you about. Um, and I'm sure, sure Don's got a, a couple of things, but, but I guess, you know, just to, to build a little bit on your introduction, I, mm. I want to get, um, a, a, get an, a, a sense of, you know, what, what is your, what is your, you know, a week in the life of Andrew Clark look like usually when it comes to managing food safety and quality for, for in-store brand items and, and suppliers at Loblaws. Like, what is it, what are your, what are your big challenges? What do you do? What is, what, what, what's a fire look like for you? Well, well, I think the biggest challenge is probably the scope of the work that we have, because we've got um, uh, supplies from all over the world. And uh, often people don't think about that, you know, uh, general public does, don't, and I know you would, but uh, they, uh, they don't realize that the management that takes, because we've got, we've got, vendors in, uh, in nearly every country that supply us. So it's making sure that we've got that oversight and we're supporting them. Fortunately, we've got a, we've got a, a, a pretty strong uh, supplier base that uh, understands um, the quality that we, we require. Um, for control brands, they all maintain GFSI certification, which is important. And uh, Loblaw mandated that um many years ago that all of their control brand vendors had to have that as a starting point uh, to be able to um, uh, supply uh, control brand products, which I think is a good thing. It's a, it's a, I know it sometimes gets criticism, but uh, uh, that, that's generally by people that are not involved in the audit world as, per se. And uh, it's, it's incredibly difficult and complicated uh, to, to manage that uh, level of um, supply and particularly now you talked about the the pandemic and um how that's impacted uh the the um the industry um and and i'm actually amazed and and quite pleased to see how suppliers have adapted they've increased their um prerequisite programs they've they've got returned to the sanitation programs and they're looking at them from a whole different perspective than they did before obviously with high risk foods it was always level one food contact areas that uh, got the most focus but now they're they're going to two three and four level to make sure that they are actually protecting um their their employees and uh what i am disappointed is that the con- how I keep seeing the connection between um, COVID and food safety, um, then it's not associated. And, and 
we keep seeing it mentioned repeatedly with um you know in in by different people i just wish they'd start off with it's it's not linked to food um because they obviously the connotation then from the general public is is this safe because obviously they they know all about pathogens but uh, there's a concern about the linkage which um i think needs to be addressed at every opportunity that it's not linked linked to food and and uh, what's happening in in um where they have had instances in um uh, manufacturing sites is because of the the close proximity and uh, that people are working in, and uh, it's and it's unfortunate, but that's that's how it's been transmitted and spread. So it's it's the the job I do is, is going back to your question, Ben is um it's varied every day is is different. You know we do support our um our suppliers and, and make sure that they they've got what they need and, and they they follow our programs and we guide them and it's, it's a lot about around about vendor management and making sure that uh, they they do obviously they do comply with what we what we require uh, and that's um you know we monitor different things and it's not just about um penalizing them it's also celebrating uh, that, that they are um tremendous in what they've managed to achieve in a very short time frame in revising their programs. I think it's incredible what the industry's done to um, make sure that the supply chain does continue. And you've, you've seen it yourself when you go into supermarkets. Uh, they've, they've been able to uh, maintain supply, which is um, it's been a challenge because obviously the demand is increased on top of everything uh, because the, the general public are, are purchasing more. They did from the, uh, the beginning of the um, pandemic. But to, to maintain the supply chain is no, no – it's complex enough, but with, with this on top, of everything else it's uh, it's no mean feat to be able to do that so um it's so that that's in a nutshell it's it's my job is is my, obviously is is paramount to making sure that products are safe but also that as i mentioned at the start that uh, we maintain the quality and and our vendors understand that because um uh, it's, it's so important to the to maintain the brand you know but on top of my day job, I don't know if you know this, I do a lot of work with um, uh, external bodies. Um, I, and right, right. I, I, I won the award last year, remember? Right. Well, you probably don't remember. For uh, BRCGS with um, uh, the CEO award. And that was for the work I did when I was at Subway with um, the initiative that they did with BRC Start, which was um, it's sort of a, an entry position uh a food standard food safety standard to support the um the the uh the suppliers in latin america uh because they 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 wanted to do the right thing and and my concern sometimes with audit standards is you can't throw an audit standard at, at somebody who when the, when there's challenges technically they don't have the resource to understand what they need to do so what we developed with um uh, the the BRCGS was the the start program, which incorporated educate free education and training online. So it it it, it said it told the um, the suppliers the whys behind it, and uh, it was nice to see the progression with that uh, standard, and and it continues to progress now in uh, other areas of the world. So that's that to me that's great, and then I'm also part of some of the working groups around. Um, 
GFSI. Uh, I was on the the, uh, the food safety culture group that produced that white paper that came out uh, that, that I think is great. I really do, and uh, it it uh, I think. We managed to achieve the the content of that in a, in a very quick time, and also now I'm working with. Um, there's a, there's something going on at um, GFSI around um, the calling it race to the top. So it's a it's a consultation on improving uh, the the application of GFSI audits and making sure the governance is changed and uh, it's enhanced to sort of uh, to to make them worthwhile again uh, because they they sort of lost their way a little bit but i, I think they're doing a great job there on uh, on changing uh, the perception and, and making sure they're of, of value again well that's that's great i mean i think that's um a really nice sort of snapshot of of what you're dealing with on a you know daily personal basis and then also um interacting right across the world on um, standard setting and, and implementing um, uh, food safety culture strategies with with suppliers. What what are the things you know? I, I, I really like what, what you said when it's like you know most m- most or many or I mean and and I, I would say almost probably all suppliers are, are trying to do the the right thing. What are some of the what are the some of the, the I guess the challenges that they face internally? That, that you've seen as someone who's who's a buyer that that's kind of like maybe not a maybe you know maybe red flag is is too strong a word but is a starting point for you to say you know what this is if if you want to if you want to supply to us here here are some things that I see right off the bat whether it's just you know on your website or as you as you fill out paperwork as a supplier or what I see in your audits or if you visit Ooh. what are, what are the, some of those like indicators for you that are um, that that tip you off to say okay there's some there's something more here to drill down to to look at to see whether they're they should still either whether they should become a supplier for us or remain a supplier. Ooh. Yeah, and, and um, going back, and and not not just the the job I've got now, but uh, this is going back many years before I even started a degree in um, food technology. I used to work for the um, I don't know if you know this for the welfare system in the UK. Yeah, yeah. And I did yeah, and I did that for many years. So what I found and transferable skills now. My job there was interviewing people a lot. So each day I'd be interviewing some and quite some quite sensitive um, topics, some which which I, I won't share here because uh, they, they're very sensitive. And um, but what, what that gave me was an understanding of how to communicate and, and drill down to the true issue. So now fast forward years, years and years, and we're talking about food safety audits now. So uh, you'll see the incorporation of food safety culture into GFSI slowly evolving into that but um, when I worked for another company um, when I worked for Maple Leaf we we, we introduced um, uh, a behavior assessment as part of the audits because I think and I've always felt this and, and it sort of come to I came to my senses quite a few years ago on audits food safety audits are not just about data gathering and, and completing getting information to complete a report it's actually assessing engagement by people out external to the food safety or food quality group and trying to understand and I call it engagement I don't go into the food safety culture terminology because sometimes it puzzles people what that means uh truly yeah so you talk about what what uh, concerns me i mean many many years ago um 
when, when I've been to a, a few plants and, and you talked a little bit, you said about um, ura- uranium <laughs> and uh, that, <laughs> that reminded me, yeah, <laughs> uh, big red flag. It reminded me of when, when I worked in the Czech Republic and uh, I worked um, for a short time and uh, they, and, and it, it was, there were, there were uranium mines in the area and we, and we dealt with um, heavy metals in the water uh, along with all sorts of other things. But um, from, from, Lots and lots of non-conformance at, at the site I was working at because they didn't really truly appreciate or understand um, technical compliance. But from a culture and behaviour perspective, if I told them why and explained, I've never seen individuals so engaged. It was fantastic hmm. uh, to actually see that. But in, and from a behaviour perspective, they were the level of control, if I told them to do something, but gave them the explanation uh, and sort of engaged them in that way. They, they were fantastic. Uh, but during this time, I had to um, also, I went to um, approve, and I'm using air bunnies now, approve a supplier that, and I've never been in a plant that was so bad. It was horrendous. And I had a technical person there that was um, uh, trying to palm off uh, the fact that they were they were certified to a standard, it wasn't GFSI, and uh, that the, they were, they were actually really good in her mind. But the level of non-compliance I saw and the lack of engagement outside of the technical group was incredible. It was oh they're checking a box here and. Uh, the QA folks will, they'll deal with it. It's for them to do. Now, anyone who knows anything about food safety management system, and, and I always say you share the love amongst the um, multidisciplinary team. It's not just about the, the technical uh, food safety people that uh, um, are actually doing all the work because it doesn't work. They don't own a lot of the programs, but they, they have to be the facilitator of it. And you have to feel when you when I audit, uh, I have to feel that there's uh, there's site engagement, and there truly is that they they do understand the connection, and I can tell going back to my um, previous life as uh, working in the welfare system, I can tell by body language if mm. people are engaged or not. So it's not just always about the questions I'm asking. Often they're for a reason because I'm trying to identify um, the, the level of compliance that uh, I'm assessing. But I'm looking at the engagement and I'm looking at the body language and the behaviours between the different uh, teams. You know, so it's um, when I see that uh, answering your question. If I don't see that, then I've got a concern for sure. Hmm. That's, so I, a couple of things that you made me think of. Um, one, I. Um, without sort of spilling who, who it was or where it was or what the industry was, a couple of years ago, I got to um, travel around with someone who's a buyer um, for, you know, food buyer, to a bunch of suppliers to look at how they're managing food safety. And this is someone who, who I know and, and as a person in extension, I, I provide support to, to them. And we went to, let me think about it. I think we went to five different suppliers in a couple of days in one region of the U.S. and they're all doing the same, you know, same type of product. Um, and and we went into one supplier, um, and I, I, you know, it wasn't the first one we went to, and it wasn't the the last one. It was somewhere in the middle of these five. Where when we got there, um, you know, the this 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 was a they're they're a big you know this is a big buyer, um, a, you know, a, a multinational chain. Um, 
they said, okay, hey, we're here. I'm the I'm the food safety guy. Um, you know, I'd, I'd arranged a, a visit to see what you guys are doing, how you're managing um, pathogens here. And um, the person that, that we received was was an admin person from the front office who who was like, yeah, well, I'm in charge of our food safety program. And we're like, okay, um, cool. You know, let's let's go let's go around and, and take a look. And they said, oh, well, we also I also have to get another person who is uh, in in sort of like the so someone who is in charge of like fixing the machines, not a not a. a uh, janitorial or cleaning person, but someone who is like the the mechanic, and so so when we walked in, you know there there's no and this was a this was a big operation. I mean millions and do, millions of dollars of sales a year. Um, this wasn't a small little little place. Like we as we walked around, there was probably uh, forty or fifty employees that were that were here. It was the, you know a, a, a significant percentage of supply of this product was going to this to this buyer that I was with. And um, and what was like, you know, the this, the buyer and I kind of talked about it a couple of times um, afterwards as we went to other places about how, what a weird situation it was because we got this like gut feeling around like body language and mm. and and you know just all the stuff that, that you're talking about like just co- like commitment I guess because the you know this, the the two people that were in, in charge that were put in charge by by ownership were people that. Um, just didn't didn't get the whys just just like you talked about with with your experience didn't really weren't equipped with the skills or the knowledge to even when when told the whys really got it and and so much so at this that at the end of this like hour and a half or two hours walking around this this facility the buyer that I was with said hey I gotta call your owner right now and and they called the owner in who was like you know doing doing something else um it wasn't important enough to to meet you know with and said and and he basically said um i don't know if you guys can be a supplier for us anymore like this this was you know we we saw a lot of bad stuff but he said the the biggest problem for me was just from this when i arrived over the last two hours, no one here has any sort of like commitment to doing things right. Like we've given you standards. It was, you know, there, there, you know, you mentioned GFSI, they talked about, um, attaining a GFSI audit, but didn't really have an understanding of what that meant. And, and got like, like it was, what was heartening was that this buyer, um, you know, made, made a decision really quick saying, look, this is so serious and it's a percentage of our supply. I need to at least tell them right now, I'm considering that you're not going to be a supplier for us. And he's trying to, he's scrambling with his team to try and figure out where to get other stuff to cut them off right then. Um, but it was like, it, it, like you said, like he, he kind of talked through with me and, and I got, I got it too, but not to the same, like, a, 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 you know, like, like, you know, Don and I talk about this a lot on, on the podcast where it's like, you know, I don't, I don't buy anything, right? Like I can tell people what to do for food safety reasons. Cause, cause I don't have any skin in the game. Like I don't, you know, it, it, it's, here are the things that I think you should do, but these real practical questions, like, okay, it's difficult for me to say, you shouldn't use this person as a supplier because I don't know what the ripple effects and ramifications are. But this person mm-hmm. who I was with was like, I'm going to not, we, we can't use them anymore. I'm really scared about what, what we're seeing. The other yeah. thing, 
that um, that that you made me think of, which is something that is that, that I, we we're experiencing right now around COVID nineteen is um, around restaurants, you know, relaxed restrictions, and restaurants opening back up to dining rooms. And I, I did an interview last week with with someone about this. Um, where they asked me, like, what should a, what, what do you think about as a diner if you're going back out to a restaurant and you see that, you know, in our state it's, um, you know, 50% capacity and, um, you know, what, what do you want? And, and what I want, and what I want, um, is uh, I want a operator to be concerned. Like, I don't want, I don't want to walk into a restaurant and say and and then and they say oh this you know this pandemic's a hoax you know this i you know the government's trying to control us no one's going to wear face masks i'm not going to require any of my staff to do it because it's all just kind of made up you know bs what i want what i really want is what i want what's most important to me <laughs> is that i have a guarantee no more attempts on my father's life, <laughs> which which is a quote from a movie which I have never seen. You've never seen I this movie? Know, no, we we this is on our list of things to oh. to do during when we're in prison or in a pandemic. We really we really need to watch The Godfather, but I know that quote because because Merlin and and John do it on Roderick <laughs> and the Lion all the time, which is why you're laughing at it and why you do it too. It's true. So, it's true. Yes. Every time I say it, all I think is I'm talking about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like Andrew, all the stuff that you're talking about, that's I, I, I want I want to see body language that says this is serious, right? Like I want to see actions and I want to see body language. I want someone to be very attentive. I, I yeah. as much of it as like that's a show. I it, there there is a fallout that also ends up doing you know resulting in best practice control right like like you know sure putting up um yeah what you know whatever trying using using lots of hand sanitizer and having someone walk around spraying stuff down all the time and putting up plexiglass shields some of these things work and some of them don't and we don't really have good data on that and that's that's something that that i think we're going to struggle with for a while but but i really what i want to see is someone trying and that 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 you know what they're displaying to me is part of that part of that body language. Um, and, and it's so funny, like how in tune I am to this now around face coverings. Like if, if I see a, a staff member at a at a retail store or a restaurant or wherever wearing a mask, but but their nose is exposed. So to me, that's like an indication that that either the person who's in charge doesn't understand or doesn't care to enforce that this is the proper way to do it. Yes, you're you're you've got a face mask, but you got your nose over top of it. You're not wearing it right. Maybe that's not actually reducing a whole lot of risk to me, the patron. But but if we're going to do it, we got to do it right. And so so anyway, that's I, I, yeah, that, that's that, that's what your your experience kind of you know, kind of make me, made me think about and, and, and remember. Yeah. It's about, um, comply. I call it, I bring everything together and call it compliance behavior. If then, if they're not doing a, a genuine job and they're just doing it for the sake of doing it, then there's bigger issues there. There really are, yeah. uh, you know, they're, they're, certainly because it's, it's not just about one risk. There's, there's a lot of risks there. If people don't follow programs or they, they feel reluctant to follow them because they feel like they're, they're being dictated to. Um, and, and going back to GFSI, a lot of people still uh, don't realise that when you get through that audit, 
you're supposed to maintain those programs for 365 <laughs> days of the year, not just when you have your audit. And the certificate can be withdrawn if you're found to be non-compliant. So I think going back uh, many years, I think people are still under the mindset, that we, oh, we, we present, we get through an audit, and then we're, we're good until the next audit. But it's not about that. It's, it's about continuous improvement. And uh, the, the recent uh, consultation GFSI did about um, improving uh, the the recognition of, of um, GFSI audits. I think they're 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 going to do a really good job on on, on that because they they understand where the challenges are and they've got they've got new people there, new board members that that they live and breathe it. They understand, you know. So I, th I think it's it's moving in the right direction. But as you said, uh, if people are are not demonstrating the right behaviours uh, when you're there, what are they doing when you're not there? That always bothers me, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and so you bring up a really, really good point. Don and I have talked a little bit about this on the podcast, but more offline as we think about a couple of projects um, in, in the future, because what we don't have a really good list of in the in the literature, which is, I think, the, the starting point for a lot of the stuff or what are the right indicators to look for that that could predict or are correlated to other um, other actions of uh, of implementation and compliance behavior. I really like that that term that you used. And so there's this great paper that that we refer to as the Petran paper. Ruth Petran, our friend um, from from EcoLab, um, she uh, wrote a paper with Craig Hedberg. Uh, gosh, like six or eight years ago now that we talked about a lot on the podcast that looked at um, the correlations between health inspection reports in restaurants and uh, restaurants that had outbreaks or were investigated for outbreaks. And, and, and so in that paper, she kind of, or they really line up a lot of, um, you know, what, what from that small study again, right? It's like, you know, I can't, I can't remember exactly, but let's say it's like 75 outbreaks over a five year period. Here are the things that mattered and in, in, in that we saw as maybe predictive indicators beforehand. And, and we, so that, that's a really, that's a good, a good starting point. I think we did some work also with, with, uh, um, Ecolab and, and Tom Ford, who, who was at Ecolab, um, when we did this project, looking at grocery store audits, um, that, uh, that they, that Ecolab had for many of their clients and looking at like, you know, a lot of different data points, um, millions of them over, uh, you know, over like a, a 10 year period to look to see, are any of these things linked? And, um, and, and so there, you know, there's stuff out there, but what, you know, uh, it always comes back to, you know, to practical things. And I think about the, the urban legend or, or folklore of, you know, if you go to a restaurant and check the cleanliness of their bathroom, that's going to tell you whether, whether it's safe to eat there or not. And I don't know if that's the right indicator or, or not. And I, you know, I think that's, that's something that's invest like that we, that, that is definitely, um, researchable. Um, but, but what you're trying to do, Andrew, like in, as I, as I listen to you talk about this process and I think about GFSI is, is what, what, what you're trying to do is, is really on behalf of Loblaw, um, look at what the right indicators are to get a sense of what happens to that 365 days a year. And, and I, I think that us in the academic world, we, we still have, we, we've got some work to do to, to give better, I don't know, better evidence-based, um, 
direction to that because because I don't I mean there's there's just a handful of studies that even get us down that that path that that are not like you know I think the um, the audit uh, world and um, and even inspection data gives us some descriptive information and 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 there's some some stuff that FDA has done on risk factors uh, that that helps but we but we don't have this like huge body of knowledge on this to, to start mm. really moving moving forward yeah and, and often I, and I do read um, when you when you um, the stories about uh, how poor audits are and how weak they are and look at these issues the auditor didn't find it but on the other on the flip side nobody ever mentions how many issues they solve by the the issues that they do identify right. and auditors auditors work extremely hard they really do and it's a lot of pressure on them if it, and if you've ever done it you, you'd understand what i'm talking about uh, you've got you've got personal pressure from each site that you're auditing and you've got it from your who you work for because you've got to get this audit done because you've got another one starting tomorrow and you've got to write the audit report so the 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 amount of work they do is incredible, and they do identify a ton of issues, a ton that are resolved and are corrected, and at the same time, they educate the, the plants as to why this is an issue. So I think there's an education piece there that you can never measure because, you know, from third-party perspective, you, you can't coach, you can't train, but you can say this is an issue because of X, Y, and Z, and hopefully they learn from that. So I, it does disappoint me when I see the amount of bad press auditors get, and, and it's usually from people that have never done an audit and don't understand how difficult it truly is. They're under so much pressure, but um, and and I think I think it needs to be celebrated more on what they do achieve, rather than you know we've all seen the cases, and I won't mention them here, where uh, auditors fail to notify, uh, identify X, Y, and Z, and, and it's gone to uh, legal ramifications. Uh, yeah, that gets headlines, but all the all the good stuff they do never does. And 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 having done it and understood how difficult it is, you know, hats off to those auditors. Really, truly, what they what they have to deal with day in day out. Yeah, yeah and you know, and and we, I was going to say, we Ben and I have been responsible for some of that bad press, right? Because we, we we we've talked about on the on the on the podcast many times, not not recently, I think, uh, but many times about how auditing the process is flawed. And I think Ben even uh, co-authored a paper um, um, with that as as the one of the central topics. And but but it's really good. It's good to hear from from you, Andrew, and it's good to hear your perspective. And I guess what I'm what I'm more interested in is is again to take it back to the Petran article. Um, you know, what are the key indicators in an audit that's, that are predictive of a problem and how can we, you know, like we, we all agree. I mean, everything, everything's flawed, right? Like the peer review process is flawed. Promotion and tenure is flawed. Democracy is flawed, but let's, instead of bitching about it, let's figure out what we need to do to make it better. So how, what can we do? And again, and I'm just thinking about this earlier. I'm just going to ask you, Andrew, um, and, and maybe now's a good time to, 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 to have this discussion. Like I, I review a lot of papers and it's just like, really, this was, this was, this is what you think was important. And this is what you're going to study. It's like, do we really need another paper on, like I reviewed one that I'm about to sub, sub, submit the review and it's like listeria growth in, um, salmon. It's like, really, do we really need another paper on listeria growth in salmon? And you didn't really do anything new. And what you did do, you didn't really do it that well. So, like, wouldn't wouldn't it be better if you spent your time doing something that we actually needed that was really useful? And so I guess 
so and so let me set, set this up in form of a question Andrew so what 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 can academics do to help you do your job better? Like, what do you see? And again, and there's lots to complain about academia that we live in ivory towers and we don't work in the real world. And of course, I'm not talking about Ben and uh, I and all of our cool extension friends who all do work in the real world, but but more traditional academics. So what? how can, how can we in academia help you, um, Andrew, do what you do um, more than we're already helping you, if, if we're helping you at all? Oh, yeah. No, certainly. And I think some of the research that's been completed, Don, it has to be it has to be with the mindset of how is this going to help industry rather than I'll do some research to present my own work and not really understand how it's being used. And the journal that the three of us are working on, I am hoping that's going to bridge that gap and make Mm -hmm. it practical for industry, because sometimes I'll read papers and I think, I don't know how this applies. I've got no clue how. Mm. How and you, the recipient, um, you know, and not to discredit them, uh, a, a quality manager working in a manufacturing plant, they get one of those papers. They're not going to. They've got so much going on that they have to manage. They can't read through that and decipher how that helps them. So I think it has to be applicable. The research has to be applicable to them and look at the challenges that they've, they're they dealing with and why some of their programmes are, are not working effectively, helping them understand root cause analysis, which um, isn't always done very well. It's what what can we do, not what should we do uh, sometimes. And you see, and you see repeated issues. So I think it's incredibly important when research is conducted that we do understand potentially the, who's going to be the end user. And it's not just to publish your own work. It's, it's really important uh, to understand that and how it applies to industry. But what I see happening in the in the audit world is I'm hoping that we're, we're going to see a lot of changes because we've Loblaw have we have our own audit program uh, as well. But ours is very very focused. It focused on behaviour and the manufacturer of our own products. It's, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles. And I think that's some of the challenges with the audit industry. These standards are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but not not necessarily better because. Mm-hmm. The auditor then is under more pressure to gain more information rather than focus on the elements that they should. And, they, you know, because they're, they're sort of uh, assessed on uh, the, the com- completeness of the audit report. So it, 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 it drives different behaviours with, with auditors because they're under so much pressure. And I think focused audits are, are much better, you know, focusing and centralising everything on HACCP. I think is much better, truly, you know. So, and yeah, on, thanks. Yeah, and, and on that, Andrew, where where are people like you, you know, going for information like t- on this? So, you know, I, I think about where where we often, you know, publish research and in, in journal articles not being maybe as accessible to someone like you who's a, a decision maker, um, especially as you know, well, as there's like 30 or 40 articles that are that are coming out, it's just it's just overload. But is this something that if I was a researcher in this area and I wanted to get my data in hands and my analysis in hands of people who are making decisions, is it like Food Safety Magazine and Food Safety News or are there other trade association um, uh, magazines that, that would be a good place to target with a more like not not a not a 
you know, not an op-ed kind of kind of feel, but an you know an evidence-based trade trade association referenced article. Is that is that a good is that a good place for those who are like for us, and then also for others who might be listening? I think so. And, and, and talking about the challenges that, that uh, uh, people are having, I think it needs to be publicised more and, and there needs to be more articles on it, um, um, certainly, because we, we need to see improvement. Um, but, but progression for me and, and my how I expand my knowledge, I think IFP has been paramount in, in being able to do that and the connections I've made uh, there in, in building network because there's a lot of people I trust because of uh, not not just their position in the industry because they're transparent and they're direct I want the truth I don't I don't want it to be hidden sometimes in, in um, you know in, in presentations and me trying to decipher it if I want to know something about risk assessment I'd, I'd ask Don and uh, but I wouldn't confuse um, risks and hazards, Don, because I mm. know that's a sensitive point with you. Um, but yep. <laughs> I, see, I see that. I do see that uh, mixed up often, the same as validation and verification. It's, it's people don't understand the difference. So there's a there's a real need uh, within the industry. And I think, um, as I mentioned, that the journal that we're that we're working on, I think I'm hoping that that will will bridge that. And, and make it more applicable uh, to the industry because we're not all scientists. You know, we, we, we have to actually be able to interpret some good good information and sometimes it's really difficult to do that, as I said. Yeah, and, and you know, I was looking for something to link to for the, the project that we're working on uh, with Carol, but I don't think there's anything out there yet. But I will give a big shout out to uh, Carol Wallace, who's a professor of food safety management systems um, um, at uh, UCLan uh, University of Central Lancashire, um, because it's it's a really neat project. And it's 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 uh, Wiley's the, the publisher behind it. But the idea is to sort of bridge this academic world with the real world and, and write articles that are. Uh, not quite scientific articles, but they're not really trade association. It's sort of a, a hybrid there. And yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that um, that site get launched and, and uh, th that information get out there. Yeah, it's it's a good it, it's a good project. Um, you know, right from the start, when when Carol, I think, approached uh, us, all three of us are, are involved in this. Um, I really I wasn't exactly sure what the what I don't know if the market was what the use was, but as we as we've talked about it as as part of this editorial board, I, I more and more see the the utility in in a uh, a repository of translational articles that are yeah like like you said they're not they're they're somewhere in between um, they're they're more more accessible and more focused on someone who can make a you know someone. Who needs something to make a decision? And I, I think again, coming back to COVID nineteen, this has been something that has been uh, challenging among the food industry. If I think back to the start of our our conversations with with some of our our stakeholders on this, they wanted to know like what are the 
you know, show, show me four or five papers on, on persistence, not 2000 papers that were published today. What are the right ones? What are the right papers to make decisions on what's good and what's not? And, and how, how you know, cause I'm, you know, either trying to justify something with my local health department or state health department or something within corporate on our policy, but I need something to go on where, where do I start? And I see that, you know, um, that the uh, Wiley uh, food safety management um, project is, as being something that that fits right there, right in the right in the middle. Well, and and let's let's talk too. I mean, so I mean, you know, Ben, you and I have been well, you and I, and by you and I, I mean you have really led this development of COVID nineteen resources at NC State, which we will definitely link to. And there and there's really two two uh, as I see it, and I'll get curious to get your perspective. There are two things that were driving the need for that. Number one, there was this fire hose of information that was coming out about the literature related to COVID nineteen, and at the same time, there was also kind of a vacuum not to to throw our uh, uh, federal colleagues under the bus, but, you know, CDC was putting out some stuff. FDA was eventually got around to putting out some stuff. USDA put out some stuff, but there really wasn't there. People were really hungry for this information. And I mean, I saw it with the request from um, reporters to talk about the risks of, you know, COVID-19 from your takeout food or from, you know, do you need to really wash all of your groceries when you bring them back from the grocery store, right? A lot of, lot of information out there. Some of it was wrong and we needed a way to very quickly get information that was right, or at least was as right as we, we thought it could be scientifically and then, and then rapidly iterate. And it can, I understand, I mean, federal agencies are bureaucracies and that is both good and bad for a variety of reasons there is a certain stability you get from being a bureaucracy um, but at the same time you and this was a situation that required us to move quickly and I really I really am so pleased that Ben that you took the leadership to do that and also equally pleased that you chose to involve me in in helping to do that because it's just been it's just been a wonderful resource that I direct people to over and over again and so much so that I've made a text expander shortcut <laughs> for the URL um, so that I have to, so that I don't have to remember it or, or search for it, right? And there, and then again, now you've got stuff in Spanish, and again, this is all position and Mandarin, um, uh, and for everything from retail to to, to farms. Um, I mean, it's just just amazing stuff. And so, and again, it's it's put us, and by us, I mean you and me and, and our colleagues, in a really nice position now to maybe go after some federal funding to take this, um, you know, even even further in terms of really, you know, get, go and fill some of those data gaps in terms of the science. And then, of course, the other thing, too, I have to give a shout out to, which I, I didn't notice. I didn't, rem- did, I didn't remember until I rolled, scrolled all the way back down that actually it's not you, Ben. It's actually Natalie. Natalie, um, yeah. uh, Natalie who's really the, the, the impetus behind making this stuff all actually work. And Natalie's an amazing young woman who works as an Ascension, Ascension associate with you, um, who's really been the one actually doing the legwork on, on all of these documents documents and getting them uh, written and posted. So, so thanks to both of you. Yeah, no, I know. I absolutely. And I think you, you like nailed, um, I guess a little bit of the, the feeling or, or the drive of, of the last uh, few months, just the, the, you know, folks like you, Andrew, calling us up and saying, Hey, um, I don't know where to start with some of this. And, and FDA, you know, for us here in, in the US, FDA and CDC are giving me some generic information about like, you know, le- exactly like you said, Andrew, like food's not not uh, thought to be a, a, a source. Um, we don't have any examples, we don't have any evidence. So, you know, folks 
let, let's focus on on other things. But then the food industry saying, yeah, but we, we're going to need to do something to not only um, ensure that that's the case, uh, you know, what do we do to protect you know, food and make sure that it's not not spread this way? But also, what do we do to protect our, our staff and employees um, and our customers as, as we've been going through this? Um, this process and and it's been just to, to sort of sit back and and reflect and think about it you know we, we've experienced it here in the US with like you know uh, local health departments making um, interpreting information all sort of differently that leads to a patchwork and I'm sure that's you know exactly the same thing happening in, in Canada and magnifying that across across the world. And there's just this rapid expanse of the data that we do have and, and the data that we still don't have um, and uh, to, to go forward with this. But but what's been uh, like really, I don't know, interesting is maybe not the right word either, but but that there there just isn't a good spot to go for the food industry to answer these questions like directly. Um, where, where, you know, if we think about other pathogens that we're, we're really used to working with, they're foodborne pathogens. So there's like a, a foundational history around this. But I wonder if this is like akin to, to norovirus in, in, you know, in the 80s and 90s or, or hepatitis A, where it's like, yeah, there's this infectious disease that comes through other routes, but also food is an issue. And so we, we're, we I, I know that world at the back end, like where we are now, this is the only time that I've really been involved in something at the front end uh, of, no, you know, learning more about the pathogen um, and, and, and how it uh, like really affects food settings and, and what, you know, the air movement and aerosolization and, um, and, and, and um, surfaces that are high touch that aren't, you know, uh, just stainless steel and glass and plastic, like most of the work has been done so far. It's published, but you know, think about a, a grocery store, high touch surface. There's there's lots of different places where public hands can go, um, and, and you know, things as as I think about my groceries, you know, experience things down to the scales to um, you know the the produce bags. Um, you know, the, there's, so, there's just so many different places that we, we don't have great data on it. And so, yeah, we've been, it's, it's been very um, exciting to be, to be part of that um, but, you know, as, as, we, as we go through this. Um, well, and I think the other thing too, just real quickly, and then I'm going to go back on mute because my my lawn service is here. But um, the because it's that time of year, it's again. right? Right. Um, but I think one of the things that, that's been a problem with the pandemic is number one, um, there's a lot we don't know, right? Number two, it's a really difficult organism to work with. There's not a lot of people who are specialized in coronaviruses, and number three. We, we have to make decisions right away, right? Like this pandemic is, is going on now and we don't have time to do two years worth of research, right? Because, and, it, and it's not like, oh, we had norovirus outbreaks and we're going to keep having outbreaks. No, this pandemic is affecting the planet, right? And so it's, it, it's a unique situation in terms of the pressures as well as the lack of information. And it, again, it's, it's been, but to me, it's been very gratifying how, how much we've all come together to try to do our very best to, to manage this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. Andrew, who's so where are you getting information from in in Canada? Like who who's who's helping with your concerns as someone who's buying food from suppliers or um, maybe maybe colleagues that you have on the operational side in grocery stores? But where where 
where are you getting like what what is that that information flow been like is it been has that relationship been good and and is it as patchwork as what we're seeing here I think it's a, a little bit patchwork at the provincial level, but I think um, I think CFA have done a really good job actually in in advising and the information they've they've been given out uh, to to the industry uh, because um, and and they've they've managed to do it relatively quickly. Uh, so I've, I've been going there, but I and I go to WHO and and FAO, but uh, it's 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 lacking detail from them right, uh, right. around around food safety per se. But um, but I think CFA have have done a pretty good job myself, um, and I, you know, I've seen the and but the the regulatory framework in in the US is is notoriously complex anyway, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's it, it, <laughs> well, and and you know the this is the this is the the thing, right? Like it's it's the system that we wanted, um, it's the system that we get, right? Like you you want local control, um, and and because of that, it it makes things really really difficult. Like it, you know the the whole um, the the whole process is 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 is, is you know. Uh, how it comes with all these challenges, and and I, well, yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure it's what we the one that we wanted, but <laughs> for sure it's the one that we've got. It's the one that we evolved, right? But but if you think about it, we've got one or one entity that regulates hard surface sanitizers, right? That's EPA. Uh, we've got part of FDA that regulates hand sanitizers. That's FDA Cedar. We've got a different part of FDA uh, that regulates the food industry, and the intellectual capacity is is in CIFSAN, but the the people that actually are the boots on the ground people, that's the Office of Regulatory Affairs. We've got CDC over here. They're part of the same agency as FDA, Health and Human Services. We've also got USDA that regulates the meat and poultry industry. They're not part of Health and Human Services. They're part of, of USDA. USDA also has different missions in terms of agriculture and promotion of agriculture and economics, and 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 that's where the granting infrastructure is. I mean, it, nobody would design a system like this. Right, right. <laughs> it's crazy. Right, right, right. Well, and, and it's, but it's, uh, yeah. I say that that it's the system we wanted because of the the philosophical uh, reasons behind it, right? Like it's uh, one. Oh, you know, well, state, yeah, state, local, fifty states, right? Like yeah. that is something that we that we we had a we had a um, yeah we had we we had you know really smart old white men, rich old white men years ago that designed that system, um, and it's a, it was a pretty good system. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Andrew, have you been dealing with uh, some of the questions that that we have about wiping down groceries and um, and that kind of thing? And I and I say that I'm gonna we'll put something in show notes, but I saw something in in my hometown newspaper, the Toronto Star, um, on Thursday last week, where um, they they talked with uh, someone who is a microbiologist at um, uh, Doctor. Uh, Desantilla De Golimi Kotra, an associate professor at York University, whose expertise is in biochemistry, molecular biology, and microbiology. And uh, she said that uh, th that it was probably a good idea to continue wiping down your your grocery uh, items um, with uh, Lysol wipes. And so the question was, are Lysol wipes good enough to wipe down grocery bags and cell phones after coming home from outside? Um, and uh, the Lysol wipes are not mentioned on the approved list of products on Canada's health website, but I believe they're mentioned in the UK. And uh, so so she said that, yeah, you can use the Lysol wipes. Uh, Lysol wipes, not Lysol wipes, um, uh, for this. But is that you know is that something that 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 you've been combating or or had to had to weigh in on as as part of the the grocery store uh, world? 
well, that's the problem with uh, issues of this nature, and you know this. All of a sudden, everyone's an expert on everything, and and sometimes it, you have to step away from social media and the news because it gets too much. Um, yes, yeah. yes, we do. We do have um, some discussions around this, and I think everyone has. Um, but obviously, yes, you, you potentially you could be reducing the, the hazard, but then introducing another one. So it, it, it's it's you have to you have to right size it and and we've previously I, I spoke about that the, the uh, and I've I've heard you two speak um, I know that you, <laughs> you've said about um, I was watching you on um, uh, Facebook the other day and they're talking about um, cleaning um, uh, vegetables with and and I just think it's insane but it's really really concerning that. Uh, Vulnerable people and concerned people that, uh, you know, we're all going through sort of um, a difficult time. They're sensitive to, to this information and they're believing it because of the, the credentials of some of the people that are, are stating that it is a good good thing to do is, you know, clean clean everything. Yeah, it is. But then it, it, and going back to controls in general and particularly manufacturing, it, what it's highlighted to me is the importance of prerequisite programs for sure in underpinning um, HACCP and food safety management and how robust and, and how they do support food safety. But, but right-sizing it from a risk perspective, is it a true risk? I'd, and, and we've we've already discussed this. It's not so. It's it's difficult to sort of um, uh, to combat um, different information that's being given out. It really is. But we you know we do our best to to do that, and it's a case by case basis that you have to deal with it. But it, it it's the state that we're in at the moment, unfortunately. We're we're all under the under the the same um, problem and and the, the same. Uh, news outlets that that are promoting some of this um in in some cases very strange advice and i'm, I'm not going to go there uh, that's come out of the us but uh, you know what i'm talking about so yes, it's, yes. it's you have to you, you have to sort of interpret what you feel is um obviously the control is is it because me personally you know I've, I've got levels of control when i go out uh, when i go to the supermarket and so on and i won't compromise them and i'm very strict about um what i do and you know i'm, I'm i'll take sanitary wipes but i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna clean all my packaging for goodness sake it's you know, there's there's other things on the on the packaging as well that we that we we're not talking about, aren't we? You know, so I think I think it's uh, you you have to appreciate and understand the risk and deal with it accordingly, and that's all you can do. So I, I just sent Don uh, a text uh, of of an article, and I don't have a way to get this to you, Andrew. Actually, no. Do you have your Facebook open? Because I can send you that on can send it on yeah. Facebook. And Don, Don, why don't you read from this? Because I think it's a pretty it's a pretty good one. And especially your response was awesome. Yeah, I won't read my response, which is a, includes a curse word. Um, so uh, 
two Toronto women are behind an idea to use ultraviolet light to sanitize groceries at the checkout counter, and the duo have already interest from two major grocery chains in Ontario. I hope neither of them is Loblaws. Um, and so basically what – and we'll, we'll link to this. This is an article from The Star, um, and basically it, it they have built this – it looks like basically the kind of thing that you would put your luggage through – uh, at the airport, but when back when we used to have airports and we used to go places, um, and it, it sits on the end of the cash register uh, on a, uh, at the end of a, a conveyor belt in a in a grocery store, and it basically um, irradiates the outside of these packages with UVC light, and I just. I mean, I guess good for the entrepreneurial spirit, but this is this just seems ridiculous. I mean, just totally ridiculous. And and it costs uh, forty to fifty thousand dollars to put this right. and item. So what yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna buy like ten. Of, my local Wegmans would need ten or twelve or fifteen of these. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, this- all to all to manage a risk that, as far as we know, is not is not significant. Yeah, but, this, but you've also got to you also got to validate that it works. Right. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't want to validate that. I wouldn't well, want well, to be in charge of, of the validation. It, yeah, and it, of course it doesn't work. It's not going to be. <laughs> I mean, that effective. I mean, if it, again, UV UV light is is great for disinfecting stuff, but it, it there's shadowing effects, right? So any kind of a a a, a, a disrupted surface that that is on the microscopic level has valleys and hills. Um, it's going to have shadowing, and so the virus is. Gonna going to hide in there again. And it, well, so first of all, virus is probably not there. And second of all, if it is there, this is not going to work to get it off. So uh, yeah, the whole thing is just ridiculous. Well, and We need an irradiation chamber, don't we, Don? Just put it in there. Yeah, that that's you know a cobalt sixty, yeah, or what's the other one? Um, yeah, cobalt sixty or the other one. Yeah, or the other one. Yeah, um, the, I, but this one has like I, I, two things that I take away from this article. One is the great picture of it because it's massive. It's probably 10, 10 feet by three feet, um, and it's got a big sign on the side that says exterminator, exterminator. And if yes. you zoom in on it, it 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 tells you like. Um, you know, to uh, it says to stop the spread of germs caused by uh, harmful bacteria, viruses, or other mar- microorganisms. But it also has like the wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Just wait, just wait. We'll get we'll come back. Just, just, just wait. We'll come back to that. It has the the phonetic breakdown of it, like you would see in a dictionary at the start of it. It's like exterminator noun to stop the spread of germs caused by harmful bacteria, viruses, or other microorganisms. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so that's what do we'll, we'll come back to that. Don, wait, just, so, yes, yes, just wait. I have another thing for you here before we we do it. Um, and, and I won't mention because I think it's probably a competitor. But let's just say at another grocery store chain, the machine was set up at the end of a checkout uh, counter, and groceries were placed on a conveyor belt in the unit, run under the UV light for thirty seconds. The general manager said the unit generated generated a lot of positive interest. Uh, the company president said uh, of this uh, grocery store said uh, the machine piloted uh, was too big and too powerful to be working in close quarters all day, but he considered testing it in an offsite facility where online orders are processed. So. I don't know. Yeah. So, so Don, it, it, uh, exterminator to stop the spread of germs caused by harmful bacteria, viruses, and, or, or, and other microorganisms. That's the so de- I, definition. Ben, I, I, Ben, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I, I'm pretty sure I know what spreads germs. Hmm. Yeah. It's people. It's people. People so, spread the germs. Maybe, maybe we could put people through the exterminator. <laughs> 
Would, would, if you do that, would we get tanned? What does UVC does do? Does I, it does it uh, lead to? Is it a tanning uh, machine? Yeah. Well, I don't. I, I don't know. I shouldn't. I should know this because I mean. And so we should. Yeah. So UVC is 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 pretty effective. Um. Yeah. Uh. I I don't. I don't know. We'll we'll look and see what the effect of UVC. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be anywhere near UVC to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No. This is. Uh, it's some. It's something else. Anyway. Um, it, it, but, but that's so, so just coming, you know, I saw this over the weekend and knew that we were going to talk to, to Andrew, but I, but I see this as the, you, you guys, we're like, as, as grocery store retailers, restaurants, us, um, we're, we're kind of, as, as folks that work in, in supporting, um, businesses like yours, we're kind of at the forefront of this communication and, and yeah, we want like, I kind of want stuff like this to go away, but also I, you know, someone, someone's got to answer it, right? Like someone's got to weigh in and say, okay, this is, this is an interesting idea. Here are reasons why there's a limitation. Here are other ways to manage this risk. You know, I, I think it's too easy for us to just sort of um, be like, oh, people suck. And this is not, you know, this isn't science-based. Everyone should go away. We really, we, we all have to continue to be part of these discussions, um, to, to, to help answer, answer these questions. And it takes time and it's a pain in the ass. Um, but, but that's, that's where we got, we have to be, we got to be here. We got to, we got to talk about the exterminator and, and why, it, it sounds like a really good entrepreneurial idea, but it may not be doing what we think it's doing. And maybe there's other ways to achieve it. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so, what, so, so yeah. yeah, I was going to say, so Andrew, what can you tell me what Loblaws is doing? I mean, I know you're you're on the supplier side and, and maybe you're maybe I don't know, to you know, to the extent you, you are feel comfortable talking about this. Can you talk about what you guys are doing in your stores to, to manage risk? Is that is that at all within your purview or your interest? Oh, yeah. Um, what we're doing and what we did, I think it was the, probably the first week because the, the, um, the I'll call it the lockdown and the change happened the, the week after my birthday. Um, and so it was my birthday was on Friday the 13th. So it was the following week. It was it all changed. The world changed. So we immediately started to put the um, the plexiglass up. Uh, that that was the first step uh, that that happened at the stores, and then obviously in um, uh, the the direction uh, on the floor and, and the the social distancing within the stores, um, which which I I I think is great uh, that, that that we're doing that and also um, increasing um, the the sanitation and availability of sanitizer and and. Uh, the sanitation practices and obviously looking at the touch points and so on. So increasing all of that and, uh, that and, and obviously different things with, with personnel and, and uh, reporting illnesses and that type of thing. So we, we've, we've followed uh, and we, and going back to, to what you said earlier, Ben, and we, we had to develop them really quickly, but I think it's fantastic how the industry has responded to this and, and, and going back to our changing this topic and going back to our, our vendors and, and suppliers and what they've managed to do in a very short time frame with in, and in some regions with, with little guidance or support. Uh, but they, they've, they've done tr a tremendous amount of work in, in a very small time frame, uh, limiting, obviously, uh, personnel and all the rest of it. So it's, it's, it's been incredibly impactful to uh, the industry, as you know, uh, because the the demand is increased, but the the, the de from an order perspective, 
and a purchasing perspective, but the, the demands on um, the supply chain of well, they've tripled or quadrupled in some cases because of the, the of, of depending on the commodity, of course. Uh, so we, we've we've done what we can, and and we obviously we we revise the the controls as necessary um, as as the the pra- uh, more guidance comes out. But um, I think we're in a good position now, and uh, I, I was amazed how quickly we could uh, react to it uh, to to the issue. I thought I thought we've done a, a particularly good job, and. Uh, there's, there's other impacts, obviously, with um, from a you can't take your own bags now to yeah, to the stores. We're having to sort of give away plastic, and then that impacts the the sustainability initiatives and reduction in plastic. But um, that it is what it is. You, you you in this position, you've got little choice than other to to, to change your practices. Yeah, and I guess let me let me and again I'm not gonna I won't criticize you because I'd be criticizing all the grocery stores, but I I really don't I mean this is an example thing something that is a feel good measure, but I don't really I really don't think I'm bringing that many germs you know or that many that much coronavirus SARS CoV two into grocery stores with my reusable shopping bags, but but I also heard from folks in New Jersey that this is something that the grocery store workers wanted right, and so it's so that they were worried, and so I was like well okay I mean it's that's fine. I mean, we're going to, you're going to, I mean, and again, I, we talked on a previous episode that those plastic bags in my house, they, I, they can't be recycled. They're the right kind of plastic, but apparently uh, bags will gum up the recycling machinery. Um, mm-hmm. But they get repurposed in, in my house and they get used to pick up dog poop. So we're, we're get we're getting two uses out of them. Um, after they're used for dog poop, you don't want to use them for anything else. They go right in the trash. But, but I really, that's an example of something that I just really don't think is, is risk-based, but I mean, you know, I, I got to pick my battles and, and that's not one I'm, I mean, yeah, if, if that's, you know, that I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, wearing masks, I think is great. Um, yeah. you know, and, and that does seem, that's not perfect, but it does have a risk reduction. I risk banning reusable bags. I, I think the science on that is less, uh, less clear cut, but you know what, that's fine. I mean, we're all going to be inconvenienced. We're all going to have to do stuff that we think is stupid. You know, uh, I, you know, we, if we, if I ever travel again and I, and I don't go through the TSA pre-line, I'm going to have to take my shoes off, even though I'm, you know, probably that's a minimal risk mitigation measure there too. So you know, I'm I'm just I'm resigned to it to a certain extent, and I will just keep you know trying to do good science to help us make not. I mean, I think it's a little bit of an illusion to say we're going to have science-based decision making, but let's let's try to make more decisions based on better science, right? Like it's not it's not a it's not an all or one approach. It's just going to be a gradual approach, and and gradually gradually uh we'll we'll get better science and we'll get better decisions. Right. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the difficult part of it all is we're responding to um you've got different inputs into into your uh response and when you don't have the data or the the evidence to to back up your decisions uh, from a science-based approach you're you're doing what you think is right on best practice and guidance and what what the demands of the the public are and so on and the perception um if if we knew from you know factually that a uh, science study had been completed and research had been completed and it, it was definitive that um the risk is minimal or it's as low as it possibly can be then then fine we can make a decision in another manner but because we don't have that data we can't it's it's impossible and and that's going back to the um that machine the uv machine why have you got a solution if you can't actually determine the significance of the risk it's it's just preposterous isn't it 
Well, and, and I think it's because you've got a solution for something else, right? And and people are inherently, and I, I'll, I'll share an example of that that I encountered over the weekend. People are inherently trying to, uh, you know, um, look for opportunities for things that they were solving with something else uh, or solving elsewhere. Right, and right. that's that's part of it. It's like, oh, well, here here's a I, I hadn't thought about this, but I do have this technology. So why don't right. we try it here? Um, right, right. Yeah. And I so I, I had a I had a call. Um, I guess it was on Friday or some Friday afternoon from an entrepreneur um, here in North Carolina who said, you know, there's a lot of lot of you know basically said, have you heard about the supply chain issues around food? And I was like, I, I've I've a little bit, you know, like yes, yeah, yeah go on, <laughs> tell me more. Yeah. She said, so so what about this? What if what if instead of um, you know farmers selling to distri distribution warehousers and distribution chain problems that they just brought their you know, green beans to me in my storefront here in, in North Carolina. And I turn their green beans into, um, like canned items and freeze dried green beans. And, um, you know, I, I could do it on a really small scale. I can make pickled beans. I can make, you know, you name it. I can, I, I can make it because I know I can find some, some recipes to do this. And so, so what, what I like that, that here's someone who's like, <laughs> inherently a, a business opportunist and i was like well there's some issue like just some stuff to for you to think about first of all if you want to can green beans you need a retort and that's not something that you can do in your bakery real well maybe and i and again then right I, and i back up and i think well maybe you know maybe it is but but that's that's an investment that you need to you need to think about like it, there are certain um, that product goes into a special category. Freeze drying goes into a different category. Um, so, so these are these are all really good ideas. But the the reason why we don't have a whole lot of businesses that look just like what you're describing is because of some of these challenges. And doing it right now, yeah, maybe there is going to be an opportunity. But here are you know here are the twelve things that I think you should think about in this uh, in this area. How will you be? You know, what what was what's the product going to look like? How are you going to package it? What are the formulations do you know like to Andrew to your point do you have any sort of validated recipe that you're going to use for this this product that shows that it's going to be a, a shelf stable product and and at the end of the conversation um, I think we arrived at there are some things that this entrepreneur could do very quickly to, to take some of the product that they have their access to and turn it into something else and value added, but not all of the things that were on their list. Um, and it, because it's, it's complex, like it's, you know, more people would be food manufacturers if it wasn't so hard, I think. <laughs> like, well, you know, and I'll tell, I'll tell this story that I've told before discussing. It's a really funny story. It's not necessarily appropriate or not, uh, uh, germane to COVID-19, but it could be. Um, and I once got this call from a, entrepreneurial couple and they said we have a really good idea we want to come and talk to you about it so i made an appointment they came in and talked to me says well so you've you've seen um you've seen those crime shows right um where they have luminol um and it, luminol is de for detecting blood and it, you you spray it and then it causes the blood to fluoresce i'm like yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. So, well we have the same idea except for bacteria, right? So we want to invent something that if you spray it, um, it'll let you see bacteria. I said, that's a really good, that's a really good idea. How does this work? And they're like, well, we're not really technical experts. We were hoping you could tell us that. 
And I'm like, well, well, um, oh, okay. it's, it's a little more complicated than you think, right? Great so, idea. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a great idea, uh, but you missing the implementation details uh, because you know honestly, it's 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 a it's good to have ideas. It's good to have good ideas, but then you have to actually make the ideas happen. And and if you talk to anybody who has a lot of ideas and who who's actually invented stuff or who's actually done done research or accomplished you know like things, um, you know it's it's not enough to have the good idea you have to actually then do the research or or write the grant or pop, write the paper and and get and get that those ideas out there it's not just enough it's you can have a lot i mean i have lots of good ideas most of them don't ever go anywhere because i don't have time right so i'm working on the best ideas anyway that that example is like how i work with uh folks in it sometimes like as we're building a website or whatever an app i'm like i don't know how that works just someone go figure this out what i need is this here's the input that i have and here's what the output needs to look at the middle part that's why i'm here is for you to do that and they're like yeah that's not that's not possible it's the same like i'm i'm the entrepreneur i'm it's the same conversation uh because i don't often know exactly how the how, how the nuts and bolts of that all works um, oh, you know, Ben, the internet is not like a dump truck. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bunch of tubes, right? It's a series of tubes. Well, I so so I've got a got a heart out here in in nine minutes. Um, so uh, I, you know, just to to give you uh, a little update on on timing, um, it, was there is there any other any other things that we haven't talked to uh, Andrew about that we want to want to highlight with him? No, I think what I'll say, Andrew, is there is there anything that we haven't asked you that you would like to share with us? Um, I don't think so. Uh, well, perhaps one thing I want to mention that I don't know if you're doing anything with it is World Food Safety Day on June 7th. Do you know all about that? Every day and, is uh, World Food Safety Day. Isn't <laughs> it? Is that, that's the way we... <laughs> it's WHO and FAO that are... Um, are are doing something collaboratively and the, the topic is food safety is everyone's business oh. so i think it's important that uh, we get that in there nice we will we will yes we will that's a great way to close we, we will definitely link to the who website on world food safety day and i see fda is also planning something and so yes i mean every day is world food safety day but let's 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 make an extra special effort on on june 7th yeah, we'll 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 celebrate it um, then. And yeah, I've I've seen a few um, uh, a few different advertisements uh, around this, and it's and it's always yeah, it's always good to we'll we'll take we'll take any additional coverage we can. Yep. Great. Well, Andrew. Super. Yeah. Thank you so much for for joining us. It sounds like your next uh, interview is calling you. It does, uh, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, so hopefully that other that other competing podcast isn't you know probably nearly as good as ours, but hopefully they they can uh, they can wait a little bit. Um, no, this is this has been great, and and I, I think the um, our our communication issues that we experienced in the last episode not only led to a great show title and and your Darth Vader voice, uh, but also led us to to give you your own space on the show and not to compete with Gordon um, at well, all. You can't compete, right? Can you? No, you can't. No. Yeah. Um, he just has his own show. Every every time he's on, we get great feedback about it, and and we could really ask one question and just like walk away let from the microphone talk. and just let him go. <laughs> it's a it's a TED Talk monologue, and it's great. Um, so so anyway, we're I'm I'm really glad that this worked out, and you're able to join us today, and um, and we got all the the technical stuff figured out, and this was this yeah. was awesome. 
Um, so, so again, uh, thank you, Andrew, Andrew Clark, uh, winner of the 2020, um, uh, Harold and, and uh, Harvey Barnum, um, award <laughs> from IAFP. Howard. Oh, you're in trouble when I see you. I know, I know. That. It's, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a great, it's a great award that I can never get correct. Um, but, uh, but yeah, thanks again for, for joining us. And this is, as always, it's been great catching up and I'm, I'm sad that we, we probably won't be able to catch up in person for, uh, for quite some time. So, so I'm glad that we no. were able to do it here. Okay. Well, thanks for the invite. And next time we come, we started off with coffee. Um, I want to talk about teas maids. Do you know Ooh. what they are? No, I don't know anything about that. Well, we'll talk about that next time. Oh, it's a, it's a, all right. It's a teaser. It's a teaser for the next. Uh, it's a tea teaser. Yes. It's a tea teaser. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, okay. Andrew. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Awesome. Cool. That was great. Oh, that was so good. Oops. All right. So let's quickly, let's just schedule the next one. Yeah. Uh, and also I will, uh, I will text you the show titles that I have so far. Thanks. And, but, but yeah, so what, uh, uh what, uh, when do you want to do this? Uh, so today is the 25th. Um, I'm good. Like this time on Monday mornings is good. Like I, I could do the, the June 8th. Um, we could do another, like whenever, I mean, you know, I want to get past the after proposal. So that's due on the fourth. Mm-hmm. So basically anytime okay. after the fourth, we could do the fifth, the Friday, the fifth, um, we could do the eighth. Uh, yeah. So Friday, the fifth, I'm teaching uh, online all day. Um, the eighth is our, uh, online, uh, convocation oh, for, okay. our, for our school. So I probably should, I don't know if I want to do that, but whatever. Let we sh- so how about we do, can we do the ninth? Yeah, we could do the the ninth. Um, I'm okay. I, I'm wide open. Yeah, great. All right, so uh, nine nine a.m. again. Yeah, nine a.m. is good. Yep, yep, yep. All right, FST. Okay, and then uh, I'm gonna give oh. you. Oh yeah. Yeah, and if you would please uh, put your audio in yep. the Dropbox, and I I got I'll in the meantime I'll figure out what's going on with the call recorder why so it didn't load. I had to update it this morning. Um, okay. Yeah, and so pro- you know maybe that was that was the thing, and it and it was one of those like urgent updates, like won't, yep. won't yeah. So that that could be it. Um, I'll give you I'll give you this. I have had a couple of um, show titles as well. Titles. Yeah. That'll cool. I'll text you those too. 
Um, and cool. All right. Thanks a lot. That was, that was great. It yeah, was great. It's always fun. Like we, when we have great guests and they just can like, you know, we, we just have a conversation. We don't, you know, it's, it was awesome. So cool. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.